so we are talking about oaths today. And so the powerful term we see in this world, especially at this moment, is credibility, right? Credibility. People rise and fall on their credibility. We have two people running for presidential election, and credibility is everything, right? Each side is tearing down the other person for the credibility that they have. We look for facts. We look for reports. Are these people credible? Is this business credible that I want to go have uh, serve me in some way, that I want to acquire something for me? We check the Google reviews. You know, we're checking all the stars. How credible is this? We live lives where we hope to be credible, that people can trust us in our worlds. And so we want to deal with the importance of truth today. So turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to jump in at verse 33. And so we're just going to take apart verse by verse as we've been doing, and then we're going to apply it to our worlds. Does that sound good to you? You have no choice, so that's always a wonderful answer. But thank you, Rick, for your enthusiasm. I always love good feedback. Makes me know that you've not fallen asleep yet. So let's just read the first verse of 33, and it says, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Okay, so pause there. Jesus, through these teachings, has been pulling from the law. Exodus 20. He's been going through kind of like the last couple. And this one is very different. He doesn't actually pull directly from a quotation from the law. In fact, he summarizes a lot of the feelings and thoughts behind oaths. And two verses just to highlight to you. Deuteronomy 10.20 says, Fear the Lord your God and serve him. Hold fast to him and take your oaths in his name. So scripture is actually encouraging the idea of oaths or vows to one another. Second uh, verse here in Leviticus 19.12, do not swear falsely by my name, that's God, Yahweh, and so profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. And so we can take from those two passages that oaths and laws were very prevalent, that they were encouraged in Scripture. We see over and over again these verbal Uh, vows made um, through uh, Abraham and all the idea. Every time they would make a vow, a vow to God, a vow to one another. And importantly, do not break this vow. It was an incredible sin to be seen just as much as someone who had committed adultery or murder. For you to break your vow was unthinkable. So we've got to think about the culture in that moment, right? They lived in an oral culture. Sometimes like, I forget that, that, that they probably had a note, pen, and pad by the side just to kind of write out a quick contract. Hey, I've got a sign that this person said that they would do this. No, they had nothing. And so the word meant everything. For community to flourish, you had to be true to your word. And so um, with that, when we uh, came with that kind of, kind of conviction, there was a, an understanding that we... As, as those people in that time, the agreements and settle uh, a dispute. And uh, so with that, we need to, I think about with oaths in that, in that culture, um, I think about how we apply that in our world today. Like they didn't have surveillance cameras, didn't have contracts, but still to this moment, 
we still hold fast to contracts, to writings. Like we deem that really important, right? America has, you know, you, you've got your list of all the laws, list of um, things that you hear too. And I think about even in my moment in my life um, where I was in the playground. I don't know if you experienced this. Pinky swear. Anyone into pinky swearing when you were a kid? Um, funny story. Yesterday, um, I was at friend's pool, and uh, we were playing, and uh, Elijah really wanted me to get into the pool. It was really cold, and I did not want to get into the pool. And so over and over again, he would ask, and you know, I, I was like, okay, I'll go and jump in the pool if I can cut your hair because his hair just got massive and I just needed to cut it. So trimmed down. He hates having his hair cut, right? Any young kid. And so I said, I'll jump in the pool if you let me cut your hair. And he was like, okay, pinky swear, he goes. And I'm like, okay. Because at the moment, Trolls 2, everyone understands that you never break a pinky swear. And so he was like, pinky swear. And it fascinated me that so much in our culture, we have that idea of, Pinky swear. Make sure that you do not let go of your contract, your disagreement in that. So very much still in our culture, right? Let's carry on reading through these verses. Verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, even by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by earth, for it is the footstool by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great King, and do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black, although we wish we could. For those who are going gray, I'm starting to get gray hair, and Rachel keeps pulling it out. You're going gray, you're going white. My dad went white when he was 21, so I've got some years on him, um, but she's always trying to make fun of me in and through that. And anyone who knows Rachel, she has a nice kind of full head of gray hair that's going to be coming out soon as well. So it's trendy at the moment, and she keeps wrestling with the idea of should I go gray or not. Besides, tangent there. In this moment, to do away with oaths, can you imagine you're an oral culture, and in this moment, everything upon society, the way it works, the way you trade, this new kingdom of God is saying, do away with oaths. Like, that's radical. You would be like, in your head, instantly hearing this for all the A-type people, okay, how is this going to even work? And in fact, that would have really segregated you as a community, if you think about that as well, that you are saying now, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm not going to adhere to the system of the world. Like, you've got to make a real big choice if you want to follow this Jesus. It is that radical a thought. And so he's changing the whole dynamic in this moment. And remember, Jesus is not saying, so right, just a bit of context here as well. We have uh, the Quakers who believe that you should never take an oath. We're not saying that now you should stop taking oaths, that you shouldn't sign any contracts anymore for your phone contract. I'm a Christian. I can't sign any contracts. You know, we're not about that. But Jesus is talking about the heart issue. Every time we've been talking about what is the, the heart behind the message. And so if divorce is due to, as Moses said, hard-heartedness, that we want to divorce because we fall out of love, because we lose you know, those kind of things, then swearing or making an oath is due to human untruthfulness. Swearing oaths is due to human untruthfulness. See, oaths can still hide a deceitful heart. You can have all the best intentions of making this promise, but it doesn't ever get to the heart. And Jesus in this teaching is all about going deeper. Because remember, this new covenant that Jesus brings into our lives begins to give you a new heart, begins to soften 
your heart. And so it's a progressive work. We are being sanctified over time. And so our hope is that we become softer, loving Christians, not hard, bitter Christians. Can I get an amen? My desire is so that, right? Like, I want to be that soft, you know, old guy who just brings peace into the room, that doesn't strain or stress, just knows who he is and just encourages people, doesn't seek his own desires. Like, that's my goal in life, to be someone of that nature. And so, with that, the problem was, Jesus was talking to a problem within this passage right here. And uh, there has been, again, a massive abuse in the systems um, the rabbis had made. They'd made all sorts of formulas to convince people of truth. And so, it'd been common, common practice um, that when you're telling the truth, Um, while lying, um, you bring a person, an object, or reference, because they knew that if they just did that, you know, by my life, that if they swore by that and not by God, they could actually get away with not fulfilling their promises. So it was rife in that time that this culture had started to skew the idea of oaths for people's deceitful hearts and their own gains. And so people would swear on their life or someone else's life, an object, and, but they wouldn't mention God's name. And so I think of it at the playground, right? That you would make a, a promise to somebody. You'd have your fingers behind your back. Anybody do that? You're like, ah, I had my fingers crossed. I didn't promise. And I, did you have that? Is that something you had in your playground? So next level, I don't know if anyone did this as well, and I, I remember this. It's so funny. Um, you wouldn't have to cross your fingers because your shoelaces were crossed. And so you would do that, and you'd be like, well, my shoelaces were crossed. So next level of understanding. So this is what they were doing as well. They were saying the same thing. They were saying, you know, I didn't say God's name. I said that the heavens, the earth, I said. But, and I love one of them was about the beard. You could swear on your beard was one of the things. So imagine that, there's mighty beards. But upon my beard, I promise that I shall make this vow. That's something very, very cool. Um, and so it sounded convincing, uh, but on the surface it was convincing. It looked truthful, but they were just creating loopholes. In fact, the Mishnah, uh, one of the um, kind of observations of the laws, mentioned about uh, so you could swear on Jerusalem and get away with things. But if you said, I swear towards Jerusalem, then you better keep that promise. So if I swear on Jerusalem, I can get away with whatever. But if you swear towards, and just notice the switch, that minor, minor switch, and everything changes within the moment. So Jesus is speaking to a cultural problem right there. He actually goes on to another passage later on in Matthew 23, speaking about the exact same thing. And it's part of the woes to the Pharisees about the conviction, the condemnation that's about to come upon them. Woe to you blind guides, these Pharisees who say, if one swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, he is bound by his oath, you blind fools. For which is greater, the gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? And you say, if anyone swears upon the altar, it is nothing. But if one swears by the gift that is on the altar, he is bound by his oath, you blind men. For which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred? So who swears by the altar swears by an everything on it. And he who swears by the temple swears by it. And by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and by him who sits upon it. What is Jesus trying to get at in both these passages here? 
He's telling them, don't swear upon heaven, earth. Don't swear upon the temple, Jerusalem. Not even your own life. Why? Because God stands in everything. Everything is his kingdom. God stands behind everything. And the point is that life cannot be divided. Like We understand that, but life cannot be divided. And actually, interestingly, the Greek, the, the word oath, the, another root mean means fence or boundary. Which you would understand that when I'm making a clause or a contract, I'm making a boundary. But this, in their eyes, was an oath to separate God from their lives. To say, God, you can have this part. And we do this all the time without even realizing it. That God, have my family. Have everything. Work in their lives. Protect them. Bless them. But don't touch my business. Don't touch my work. Uh, God, like, I want you to help in all my decisions but don't touch my finances. God, I want to live for you these days of the week, and can I live this way the rest of them? And Jesus' reply is great. It's like, you want to swear by heaven? That's, that's God's. That's God's heaven. That's his throne room. You want to swear by earth? Well, that's his footstool. You want to swear by Jerusalem? He is king of Jerusalem. And come on, you want to swear by your head, your own life, and you can't even change the hairs on your head. You can't even do anything. Why do you think that God is separate from those things in your life? This great quote from William Barclay, a great commentary on uh, the New Testament. He says this, He is a great eternal truth. Life cannot be divided into compartments, in some of which God is involved and in others of which he is not involved. Therefore, cannot be one kind of language in the church and another language in the shipyard or the factory or office. There cannot be one kind of standard to conduct in church and another kind in the business world. The fact is that God does not need to be invited into certain departments of life and kept out of others. He is everywhere and all through life and every activity of Wonderful thought to remind ourselves today of that. And so separation is not the life. And we use this word, right? People who are truthful are integrous people. People who are truth people are integrous people. And integrity means not perfection, but it means someone who is whole. Someone who is wholly living, who is the same constantly in any world or environment. And so the uh, word we get is um, integration. Integration is the word that we get from integrity. And so the opposite is segregation. And when you segregate your life, you do not have integrity. And so the challenge Jesus is saying by saying, stop taking oaths, is saying, stop living in a separate way. Stop thinking that you can pull God from out of your life when I am calling you in this radical new kingdom to be truthful all the time. I'm calling you to a higher standard who is empowered by the grace of God, is empowered by the Holy Spirit inside of you. Because if we're honest, this is a tall order again. This is like another shift and change within our minds, and we're like, I don't know if I've got this down because there's so many times that I am tempted by us. And so the challenge from Jesus is say, I want a life of wholeness. I want a life of integrity. So this final verse, which 
As I was just reading this passage over and over again, the Holy Spirit just lit up in my spirit. And this is kind of the verse we're going to land and remain of time together. This simple two-line passage. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Let what you say be simply yes and no. Anything more than this comes from evil. Jesus is the most amazing rabbi, teacher, son of God. He speaks to the challenge, but he also speaks to the condition that we have in our hearts. And an interesting question I thought about, what is more than evil, right? We've got simply yes and no, and anything that is more than that, anything that is more than that, anything more than the simple yes or no is evil. I'm sure for all of you, you've made a promise that you haven't kept. Um, We've extended the truth to make ourselves feel better or fit in that circle. Um, Or we've just, you know, straight up lied. And so why do we need to promise or swear on something to convince people? Why do you find the need to swear or promise something that you know you cannot keep? What is that inside of our heart? What causes us to say yes to things out of our capacity, right? That you've got a capacity of things, but that one person that you admire or you want to fit in that group or you want to be in that environment or you just feel that you have to be that person to always say yes to, right? What is that inside of our hearts to perform, to want to cause to say yes to prove myself? And so in all of that, we create separation of self. We create this uh, bipolarism within us. So rather than integrous self, we are separated. And in the U.S., uh, we don't believe in limits. Uh, you are bigger, better, stronger. Um, and there we live above the capacity. Because if you don't live above your capacity, you're lazy, right? The idea of rest, the idea of having margins within our lives are, are, are you know, seen as lazy. We live in a society, we used to live in a society of law. So the idea was that no governed what you couldn't do. So no, you can't do this, no, you can't do that. And you know, we lived that way. But recently, in the later years, there's been a shift in the performance culture that we have. We have this performance culture that cannot say no to anything. And so we want to go faster, we want to go stronger, you can be what you want to be, which is ever whatever you want to be, sexuality-wise even now. You do you, follow your heart's desire, which is going to lead you down a dark, dark path. Just be whatever you want to be. And so this overstatements, these higher values, the crushing nature that we have, you know, I'm going to crush it today, this hard work, 100-hour-a-week work mentality destroys us. But what is it about that? Depression begins to set in as we betray this false self. We overstretch and we swear again just to fit into culture. So the simple yes and no. When I, when I hear simple, I think about someone who's defined, who has boundaries, who knows exactly what they're doing and who they are. Think about someone with margins, who has limits, who can say no, and who has capacity for loving people more, that hasn't got their lives so rammed that they have capacity for more. 
simplicity, I think about it's the essentials. We've got this kind of modern thing, if you check on Netflix, and I forget the woman's name, but she's all about going through your wardrobe, seeing what's joyful, and you chuck out the rest, that you don't need all the clothes that you have. You don't need all the possessions, that simplicity brings joy into your existence, the essentials in your life. And so it's yes to my calling. It's knowing who I am, saying yes to what I am, and saying no to people pleasing. It's when I say yes to things that matter, rather than saying yes to the consuming world that just wants me to take in more and more. And so out of really these teachings, this one for me is probably the most convicting. Like, I get it. Anger is a problem. Lust is a problem in this world. But this drives, for me, everything. I'm an Enneagram 3. Um, for all you Enneagram 3s in the room, or for you who follow Enneagram, is a great tool to be able to disciple yourself in Jesus, to find out where your brokenness is. And so deceit is a problem where I just want to make people happy. I just want to be everything for everybody. You need this, I'll be this. I'm the, I'm the jack of all trades and master of none. I'm able to just be whatever and be a chameleon moving in and out. And so for me, this is really, really convicting that I need to reorientate my life around what matters to God. That I get back to the simple yes and no. That it might disappoint people. I might seem like I'm letting people down. I might look less than. But if I show up with a simple yes, I find life. I love this quote from Pete Scazzera. You find God's will for your life in your limitations. You find God's will for your life in your limitations. I think about John the Baptist who knew his calling so many people wanted him to be the Messiah even. Yet he shut them down every single time knowing his one calling. And it was the one show. But he is one of the greatest prophets of all. He simply lived out the one thing. So a simple yes matters. I think about if we have a simple yes, when I cut out the need for people pleasing, when I cut out the need of the culture to constantly say yes, 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 to be more, to be bigger, to keep on going stronger, to simply refine myself to the simplicity of yes. Imagine if you did that. And I think COVID has been an amazing moment for that, right? Like We have cut out a ton of stuff all the sports events, the, the kids' things that we have to go to, this meeting, that meeting. Suddenly, we don't need to physically gather. I can jump on a Zoom call real quickly, have a meeting, and be done. That suddenly, simplicity has come into my world, and I can say yes to these things. When we say yes to the simple things, we turn up whole, right? When we turn up uh, simply, when I've got myself refined to the yes, I come into that environment stronger, more present, not reeling from all the other things that I have to juggle in my mind, that I come to that space whole, present, engaged, ready to bring life, joy even to that room, right? Such a challenge because I want to fill myself all the time with the next thing. It's the lust that we deal with, right? I just want more. But if I learn my calling, if I learn the simple yes and no, because anything more is evil, right? Anything more is what God is speaking to in that moment. And so life is going to come flying back at us if it hasn't already for you. 
And so my challenge to you today is that. What could you bring back to the simple yes? What could you bring into this moment? Would you even assess your life right now? Are there things that you are overstretching in your world? And it might even look like good things, right? Um, we're having conversations uh, yesterday about grandparents. Good things, right? Being good things and saying yes, 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 yes. But sometimes we, we get burnt out trying to do all those things, juggle all those things in your world. And so knowing sometimes just to say no, that you can be whole for something else. Why do we always need to say yes? Why do I even need to overextend my yes and prove myself that I will do it? Such an amazing question, I think, as well. And so we've got a generation that is growing up that doesn't believe there's an absolute truth. You say that's true? I think we can't believe anybody half the time. As soon as I see an article, whether if it's a side that I agree with, I'm like, is that even true? There is no absolute truth, we find. And so I feel like there's a challenge for us, as, and I'm speaking to parents, people who influence in the room. Parents, are we keeping our word? When I say yes to my children, Am I keeping it yes? Or do they start to believe a lie? Well, Dad said yes, but I know that that's probably not going to happen. And so we start to build this mentality that truthfulness is not absolute. This really hits home really close. It's, it seems like such a small thing, but this is like the fourth teaching out of the six. And so this means a lot to God. If we could get this right, of when we say yes, we mean Yes, like I'm going to show up at this event. Nothing annoys me more than when people say, yeah, 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 I'll be there, I'll be there, and they never show. Like, just say no. It's okay to say no. Just say yes or simply no. In our marriages, are we saying yes? Our yes is meaning something to our spouses, that when we say yes or when we say no, it means it holds wait. Can people take your yes and no to the bank? Can they know that this is what it's going to mean? If this is so important to Jesus that in a world that is still trying to deceive with the heart, if we are in a world that is still trying to get one up and prove themselves by overextending, then the way of Jesus, the upside down kingdom is completely opposite. It's a way to say simply yes, that you are integrous, you are whole, that you show up at every event. And you know, you're not going to get it right. Like, I'm going to overextend myself. I'm still a work in progress. I need to know the Father's love more and more in my life. I need to know myself as a son that I don't need to prove myself. And it's still challenging. Like every Sunday, you know, I, I will go home. Was this a good sermon? Was this a good service? I will judge myself upon this. I'm getting a lot better. When I was 18, I'd beat myself up when I led worship. And it wasn't that moment where the Shekinah glory came into the room. I failed you, God. I'm a terrible worship leader. I'm never going to lead worship again. You fill in your blanks for where you have said, I'll never do that again. Right? Jesus loves you right now as much as he will ever love you. And that's the amazing truth. That he is for you. That he has the best for you. That we can show up when we have not been with him for a long time or we've stepped away from him. We can come with confidence because of Jesus Christ into the room fully known. And he still likes you. That's what we talked about in men's group yesterday. 
You know, it's easy for us to understand sometimes that we're justified. But I want to tell you again today, God likes you. He really, really likes you. And he really loves to spend time in you. So integrity in the gap is building margin for the simple but strong yes and no. It's building margin, simple but yes and no. When we say yes, we are all in. And when we say no, it is concrete. So as a church family, how are we doing on the yes and no? Are we all in? And when we say no, it means something. When I say no to that thing, that I mean no. As parents, that's such a struggle, right? When my kids, I'm saying, no, don't do that. And they still do it. Rachel's always like, I guess my no means nothing to them. I was like, right, isn't it such a challenge that in our world, the no is not perceived. But that doesn't matter. You mean your no. Follow through with your no. And be obedient to your yes. Let's pray. Let's stand in this place this morning. Father, I thank you for this just amazing word that we will find joy in the simple yes. That we will find joy in the no. And God, this means everything to you. This means everything. That we don't need to swear or overextend ourselves and make promises that we will that our lives would be the simple yes and no. God, would you just help me? Help me to create margin that I can say yes. That I can be present in that yes. God, when I say no, let it mean something. Help me to say no. Lord, this deception that is in my heart would you begin to melt it with your Father's love? I don't need to deceive anymore. I don't need to act or be something more than I am. But God, you say, just bring your simple yes. Bring your simple no. Stop trying to overextend yourself because that is evil. That will destroy your joy in your heart. And so, Father, as we go about our weeks, as we go into our spaces of work, of family, this challenging question of a simple yes and no, would it resonate in our hearts? Would it take hold? Would today be a transformative? It seems like such a mundane and simple message, but yet this is the greatest catalyst for transformation in our worlds, that we learn to simply say yes and no and not prove ourselves anything more. God, we just pray blessing upon our weak, upon families. We lift up the sick and needy in our community. God, we just ask for healing to come and touch hearts and lives. Pray for financial uh, provision as well, God, for those who are going through lack. God, would you open the doors of heaven, open the gates wide, and pour out a financial blessing that we can be a blessing to others. God, would you protect us this week? Action your angels around our lives. Most of all, God, we want to know you more. And so, Lord, I just pray for fresh encounters for your people. Even as they go away from this space, just thinking in their hearts, God, do you have my full yes today? 
God, do you have my yes? Do you have the simple yes? And God, would we just hunger to desire to know a relationship with you, Father? For those who maybe have walked away from you, God. For those who feel like they've just stepped away from you, God, would you open their eyes and ears to the love of Jesus Christ? Lord, that conquers death, that conquers fear. God, we can come back to you because you made the greatest vow that means that we no longer need to bring that vow because you have already done it all. And so we just get to simply say yes and amen. God, teach us what that means this week. In Jesus' name, amen.